Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. My message today is one of the scariest uh, prayers that you can pray. It's the title of my message, and it's called, God Give Me Patience. And it's the scariest prayer that you can pray. It's at least up there. Have you ever prayed, God, give me patience? So I thought we would would start by praying that out loud. Okay? We're going to just pray, God, give me patience. Ready? Here we go. God, give me patience. I don't know if you even know what that means for your own life right now. But you're in trouble now. You, You are in a, a tough situation now that you've prayed, God, give me patience, because the moment you pray, God, give me patience, is the moment God puts you through the test of patience. It's, this, it's just like you're going to leave here today, you're going to get on the 101, and God's going to drop some little granny right in front of you that's going about 14 miles an hour. On the free, you just pray, God, give me patience. You just pray, God, give me patience. Tomorrow you're going to get a letter that says you have to go to motor vehicle division for something. God, give me patience. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your message today. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that, God, we would grow in our patience. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you for your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen. 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 Let's give our worship team a round of applause for all their hard work. You know that patience is a requirement for spiritual maturity. You cannot be spiritually mature without having patience. It's a requirement. In fact, patience uh, is an indicator of spiritual maturity. In fact, in the book of James, and remember James was the brother of Jesus himself, but in chapter one of the book of James. I want us to read this uh, for a minute as we begin today. James chapter one, verses two through four. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, before we continue on, I don't know why I chose the new King James version today, but it sounds more spiritual, doesn't it? Brethren, like nobody says that today. Uh, If you're a guy, find another guy and right now and tell him what's up brethren come on tell him what's up brethren what's up brethren what's up brethren what's up brethren look at some guy you've never guys this is only for guys look at some guy that you don't know look at him right now this is super awkward i understand that and tell him you're my brethren from another methren my brother from another mother so So he says, my brethren, count it all joy. Somebody say joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces what? Patience. Verse four, but let what? Patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So he's saying, count it joy 
First thing he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, which is not easy to do. God, I'm thankful for this trial. I'm going to be joyful in this trial. He didn't say you have to be joyful about the trial. He's saying in the trial, I can find joy. I count it joy. Some of you today, you're in a trial. I count it all joy because there's a reason for the trial. That's why I can be joyful about the trial because there's a reason. God is doing something in the middle of this trial. So I count it all joy when I fall into various trials. Why? Because God's not only working on your trial, but he's using your trial to work on you. He's working on your life, on your spiritual maturity level. And so the testing of your faith, he says, the testing of your faith, it produces patience. In other words, without the testing, without it, without the trial, without the testing and the trial, there's no patience. Without patience, there's no spiritual maturity. So he says, let patience have its perfect work Perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete. So patience, it is an indicator of spiritual maturity. Okay, uh, Another word that Jesus uses for spiritual maturity, Jesus himself uses the word fruit. Right? Produce good fruit. That means I am producing good fruit, means I am becoming spiritually mature. The things that are coming out of me, are good fruit, good character. And so he says this, I want to read it to you in John 15, five and verse eight. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them. So there's the key to it right there. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse eight, when you produce much fruit, you are my what? True disciples. This is important in this day and age because a lot of people are like, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but their life does not reflect the teachings of Christ, right? Being a Christian means that you are Christ-like. I mean, you're at least in progress of being Christ-like. You're not unlike Christ, right? I'm a Christian, but a lot of people... They, they, they produce what appears to be antichrist characteristics. And so he says, it's important, he says that you are my true disciples if you produce much fruit. Much fruit. Okay, This brings great glory to my Father. So Jesus uses this term for spiritual maturity. He says, it's good fruit. If you remain in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, If you remain, if you remain, if you stay there and you don't leave, then you will produce great fruit, good fruit. You will then truly be my disciples. And what is a disciple? Because, you know, I've asked this for 12 years of preaching in this church. I've said, how many of you would say you're a disciple? And usually it's like 5% of the whole church, which means that the church is confused on what a disciple is. Because a disciple doesn't mean you're Jesus Christ. A disciple means you're disciplined in the characteristics and the things of Christ. Right? So if I say, how many of you are disciples in Christ? It should be 
everybody that says, I am a man or a woman of God. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect, but I am disciplined in his word. I am disciplined in worship. I am disciplined in prayer. I am disciplined in the things of God. So he says, that's what a disciple looks like. They produce good godly fruit. Okay. Now this is echoed in Galatians chapter five. We know this as the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, but the what Holy spirit, the Holy spirit, which is God, the Holy spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, you know, right away, I want you to look at these. These are nine fruits of the spirit. You know, right away, if there's a couple, you're like, yeah, I got to work on that. Right? So for me, the, the one, I mean the one out of all nine fruits of the spirit is what I'm preaching on today. Patience, patience for you. It might be patience for you. It might be something else, but God is saying when we remain in him, When we abide in him, when we remain in him, we become people of good fruit. We produce good fruit, which is the disciples, the true disciples of Christ and the Holy Spirit produces in us and through us these nine different fruits of the spirit. And so today we're going to look specifically at patience. And I want to break down three areas of our lives where we desperately need the fruit of the spirit of patience. If you're ready, look at somebody and tell them I'm ready. Tell them I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Number one, I need to be patient with myself. Patient with myself. Patient with myself. You know, the, one of the great theologians said, just a little patience. Axel Rose. I need to be a little patient with Myself, And there's all these areas that we need to be patient with ourselves, but we need to be patient with ourselves. Look at somebody that you love right now and tell them God's not done with you yet. Come on, tell them God's not done with you yet. Look at somebody you don't love because you don't know them and tell them God's not done with me yet. God's not done with you and God's not done with me. God's not done with you and God's not done with me. You are a work in progress. Listen, you are not everything that you want to be, but praise God, you're not everything you used to be. You're a work in progress. And God is not, thank God he's not done with me yet. So I need to be patient with myself. Philippians chapter one, verse six, he says it like this. Be confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God is still working on you. He's still working in you. You're not done yet. God, he, he's so faithful that, that he's patient with us. He's patient with humanity at large, but he's patient with us individually. And so I need to be patient with myself. Patience is a powerful, powerful, powerful fruit of the spirit. Imagine 
If you could increase the patience in your life, how it would change everything about your life? There's this verse that is in Proverbs. I want to read to you in chapter 16, verse 32. It says, it's better to be patient than powerful. It's better to win control over yourself than of whole cities. It's better to be patient than powerful. It's better to win control of yourself than a whole city. Be patient with yourself, with your spiritual growth, with your character. I, I want to just give you two sub points under point number one. I want to give you A and B, two areas where I think you need to think about for your own life. Letter A, give yourself some grace. Give yourself some grace. Be- because some of you are so hard on yourselves. You're so hard on yourself. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter three. He said, not that I've already obtained this. What is he saying? I have not arrived where God wants me to be yet. Not that I've already attained this. I'm not everything God wants me to be. I'm not everything yet. He says, not that I've already attained this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. So he's saying, forget, forget what's behind, right? We talked about this the last couple weeks. Forget What is behind? Leave the past in the past. Leave it in the the rear view mirror. Look forward and keep marching. Keep moving. I I haven't arrived yet. I'm I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. I'm not spiritually mature yet. I am a work in progress. And Paul talked about this at length. Because remember, I I mentioned this verse, uh, I think two weeks ago, but in Romans chapter seven, verse 15, he said, I don't understand what I do. I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I don't do. And what I hate, I do. That's, that's me. Y'all can act like you're super Christians and like you're super self-righteous and that's not you. But as a pastor and a preacher standing in front of you, that is my verse. I don't understand why I do what I say I don't want to do. I I don't understand why. I mean, I hate that about me. I hate that in me. I say, God, I'm never going to do that again. And then I do it again within like 48 seconds. (laughs) Right? And so I love this. And he says, and verse 16, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, as it is, it's no longer myself who does it, but it's the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that lives in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I had an, an, an NBA player many years ago. And, you know, it's funny because I, in the arena, I do chapel one hour before the game and uh, every home game. 
And so there's this little room that's kind of between the two locker rooms and both teams are invited. And this was probably 15 years ago. I did chapel, amen. Everybody gives each other some love and they leave. And it's just me in this room. And then in walks one of the players and he goes, hey, you got a minute? And I said, yeah, what's going on? And he goes, man, I feel like every time we go on the road, every time I get on a plane, the devil comes and sits right by me. And I said, well, because he does. You're married, you have kids, and you're getting on a plane traveling the world with a bunch of kids that are your teammates that they don't have wives, they don't have children. They're all going out and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. You know, and then here's Mr. Family Man on the team traveling the world away from your family. Of course he does. Of course the devil tries to attack you where you're most vulnerable. Of course he does. So that's what he's saying right here. He said, man, although I want to do good, uh, evil, it's right there with me. It's right there with me. So because of the power of Jesus Christ, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have victory over sin. We have the victory over sin. Not because of what I do, or what I'm going to do, but because of what Jesus Christ did, because he paid the price on the cross for me. Listen, give yourself some grace. Stop being so hard on yourself. Some of you are in constant war with yourself. Let me tell you something. When self is in war with self, self always loses, right? I'm in this constant battle. Some of you, you're in this constant like, self-destruct mode. I'm just self-destructing. I'm self-sabotaging my life in every way. Uh, the devil, the devil doesn't even need to attack you because you do a far better job than any demon he could send your way. He's just beating myself up all day. I criticize myself all day long. I'm negative about myself all day long. I beat myself up all day long. You tell yourself that you're not good enough all day long. You tell yourself that you're not smart enough all day long. You tell yourself, man, I'm fat, 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 man, I'm fat. If some of y'all could hear externally what your internal brain is telling yourself, man, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly. And you wonder why you feel like garbage all the time. It's because you're feeding your own brain garbage, right? Man, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I can't believe I did that. 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 I fail. I'm just terrible. I I can't give yourself some grace. God did. God did. You you can stop nailing yourself to the cross because Jesus already paid the price for you. Give yourself some grace. Okay, here's, here's letter B. And this one might take up the rest of our time. I don't know. Stop, stop comparing your life to everybody else's lives. About 82 of you are happy about that. Yeah. Because we get sucked into this trap of comparing 
our everything to everybody else's what we think is everything, right? And, and, and the Bi- did you know that the Bible calls comparing, it, it's a sin. It's a sin. And I know we're so quick to judge others and all their sins, but like it's a sin. When I compare my life to your life. And, and listen, when you compare your life to somebody else's life, what you think you see in them is not even reality. I think I need to say it again. When you compare your life to somebody else's life, what you think you see isn't even reality. You're not seeing what your brain is telling you that's true about them is not true about them. So when I compare myself to you, when you compare yourself to me and we get sucked into this comparing game, I call it the compare snare because the Bible calls comparing a trap. So there's this compare snare, right? Here, here, here's what we do. I wish I looked like so-and-so. I wish I had her hair. I wish I had her face. Wish I had her lips. Wish I had her hips. Wish I had her personality. Wish I had his physique. Wish my marriage was like, I wish my marriage, I wish my marriage was like Pastor Trav's. Oh, heart throbbing marriage. Like, you guys have no idea what Natalie puts up with. Sincerely. I, I, listen, can I just be honest? You're thinking like, man, if I just had a man that loved Jesus like him, why don't you go talk to my wife for a couple hours and find out what it's really like? Because I could tell you what it's really like, but she could really tell you what it's really like. Right? And so... You compare your life to mine, and it's, it's not even real. I wish I had their family. I wish I had that person's childhood. I, I wish I had that person's house. I wish I had that person's car. Man, hey, let me tell you something. When it comes to physical possessions, before you ever have physical possessions, like, I don't know where you came from, but, like, I came from a single mama waiting tables poverty, right? And when you think like, if I could just get something and and whatever that something is, I'm just, if, I don't know if you've discovered this, but when you do get that something, it's not like you went, Oh, now I'm happy. Now I'm happy because I don't have that old hoopty. And now I got a car with air conditioning. I mean, that's nice, but it's not like you're fulfilled, right? Man, if I could just upgrade my lifestyle, there's nothing about worldly possessions that fulfill your soul. There's nothing about worldly material possessions that, that, that fill that God-shaped hole in your life. So you can get the new house. You can get the bigger house. You can get the nicer yard. You can get that new patio. You can put that new swimming pool in. You can do all that because you think that's what it's going to, and then you do it and you're like, man, I feel no different. In fact, in some ways I feel worse because life used to be so simple. 
And so what you think you see isn't even reality. Trust me, trust me. You don't want somebody else's life. <laughs> you don't. The, the, sin of, the sin of comparing, did you know that it never stands alone? You know that sin is usually paired with other sins, right? It's not like, well, I'm a liar. There's a reason you're a liar. It went with something else. I'm lying about this because I shouldn't have done that. They go together, right? So, so comparing goes along with these other problems in our life. You think, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just comparing. Not a big deal. It's a really big deal. Because comparing, for example, creates envy. It creates jealousy. It creates anxiety and worry and self-pity. It creates inferiority and insecurity. That's what comparing does. And comparing is a sin no matter what the outcome is. Because if I compare my life to yours and I feel... One of two ways. I feel less than or I feel greater than. And both are sin. Both are sin. God does not want you to compare. God says in his word that he made you to be you. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what he said. I want to read to you in Psalm 139. Look at this. He says, for you, God created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days that are ordained before me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. I want you to look at somebody right now and tell them you're one of a kind. You tell them that you're one of a kind. Do you know there's nobody like you? There is not one person in the world that is like you, that has ever been like you, or that will ever be like you. There's nobody that has or has had or will have your exact fingerprint, your exact voice print, your exact footprint. There's nobody in the you, if you are not you then the world is missing out on something that God fearfully and wonderfully made to be in this world at this exact time in the timeline of history. My point is that, isn't it funny that we're always comparing ourselves to others in every single way, wishing we had or wishing we were what they are, but this world would not be what it is without you being who you are. And you need to be confident that God created you fearfully and wonderfully. Just the way you are. Just the way you are. Just exactly the way you are. Let's move on to number two. The second area is to be patient with other people. Yep, three of you. I knew that was coming. (laughs) Whoo. So all throughout, all throughout life, you will have to be patient and learn to be patient with other people. Now think about it. I got to have patience in my marriage. I got to have patience with my marriage. 
I got to have patience with my children, patience with my wife. Some of you are patient with my husband. You got to have patience with that prodigal child, that, that, that daughter, that son that seems to be heading in the wrong direction. I, I need to be patient. Now, I need to be patient at work in my day-to-day relationships, patient with people that drive me crazy, patient with people that get on my last nerve, patient with people that irritate me, patient with people that do me dirty. I got I to gotta learn to be patient with other people. Now, did you know that patience is directly tied to love? I'm going to show you why. 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. It's a chapter on love. It said, the first three words, love is what? Patient. Love is patient. Say it out loud. Love is patient. Love is patient. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. Oh, man. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Do you know that love always protects? Hey, a word to us husbands, always protect your wife. Yeah. I I know we immediately think, yep, I got an AR 15 in my, I'm talking about (laughs) their dignity, their emotions, right? Who they are. Their needs. It goes, it goes the other way too. Hold on. And, and wives protect your husbands. Right? I mean, you know, you don't have to roll them out every time you get in an argument to your mama. Do you? No, that's not patient, mom. You wouldn't believe. I have, a, I have marriage advice for those of you that are married and those of you maybe would one day want to be married. When you get in an argument with your loved one, don't call your parents. Because my mama will take my side every time. Every time. And all you're going to do is drive a wedge between your mama or your daddy and your spouse. There's other ways to grow. You don't have to roll them out to your sister or to your brother. Right? So, so what I'm saying is love always protects it, always trusts it, always hopes it, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. So love is patient. In other words, when I'm not patient, I'm not showing love. Do you hear me? When I'm not patient, I'm not showing love to the person that I'm being impatient with. And so love is patient. When you genuinely love somebody, you have to take on and produce this fruit of patience. Because they go together. I, I love you, so I need, to be, I need to be patient with your growth, with your development, with your character, with whatever you said to me. I don't need to react right away. I need to be patient. When you love somebody, you care about them. You care about their wants, their needs, their desires. Listen, when you love somebody, you care about their dreams, their goals, their interests, their perspectives. So offering patience is offering love, right? I'm going to be patient with you because I love you. 
I love this verse in Ephesians 4, chapter 2, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, be patient with each other. Let's read it out loud. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So I got to make allowances. Why? Why? Because of my love. I need to make allowances. Here's another verse that says kind of the same thing. Proverbs 19, 11, it says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's his, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Man, the world needs to hear that verse. It is to your glory to overlook an offense. Overlook it. Overlook it. Oh, make allowance for the fault. Make allowances for for the offense. Listen, I got to make allowances <laughs> because they are going to screw up. Count on it. Those of you that are in the infatuation stage, I got news for you. <laughs> They're poo-poo stanks too. <laughs> and you about to find out. <laughs> well, they could do no bad. They could do no wrong. They're What you think is flawless, give it two years. The very thing you think is flawless, you're going to think is absolutely a nightmare in your life. But today you like it. I make allowances. I make allowances. I make allowances because they're going to fail me. Count on it. It's not if, it's when. They're going to say things. They're going to do things. They're going to give you certain looks. Listen, some of y'all probably said something on the way to church this morning that you should not have said. You're on your way and you got into a little fight. It's a miracle you walked in the doors. (laughs) So I make allowances because of my love. Be patient, be patient, be patient. And then the proverb says, it says, it says wisdom Wisdom gives you patience. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is when you see life from God's perspective, not your own perspective. So wisdom gives you patience. It's to a person's glory to overlook an offense. You don't have to call out every single freaking thing that you notice or see or feel or think or read or think that you think. Everybody thinks that if they don't agree with something, they got to verbalize it and they got to criticize it. And because I don't understand it, I need to tear it down. But you don't have to. That's spiritual maturity. You can keep your mouth shut. (laughs) I mean, you can. Some of you are like, there's no way. There's no way I can do that. I'm telling you, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. I got to be patient. Listen, I overlook it. I make allowances because I'm not perfect and neither are you. So I I make allowances. That's what wisdom is. Number three is, and this is the hardest one, is to be patient with God. It's, It's hard to be patient with God. Have you ever figured that one out? Because like when I need my prayer answered, I'm not like, Lord, maybe in like three and a half years. (laughs) Nope. Like when I need God, I need God now. 
When I need an answer, I need an answer now. When I need a miracle, I need a miracle now. When I need a healing, when I need God to do the impossible, I need God to do it right now. When I need God to fix this situation, I need God to do it right now. When I need God to speak to somebody else and change their heart, I really want him to do it now. And the reality is he's probably trying to change my heart. And so God is God and I am not. Listen to this in Psalm 27, 14. He says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Have you ever been in the waiting room of, you know, God's office? That is just not the most exciting place to be. This is what I will tell you that I have learned about God in my own life. I have learned three things. I have learned that God is always on time. I have learned that God is never late. And I have learned that unfortunately, God is never early. Ever. How, how could God be early if he's always on time? So I need to wait on God. The, the good thing about God is he sees you. He sees your situation. He sees the moment that you're in right now. But God also sees all of our moments at the same time. God sees five years from now. God sees 15 years from now. You know that God sees a hundred years. He sees a thousand years from now. He knows that this moment that you're in this situation that you're in right now, he wants it to play out the way he wants it to play out because it's not just about you. It's about impacting people 50 years from now and 150 years from now and 200 years from now, because generations impact generations. And so I got to learn to wait on God. And by the way, did you know that patience, patience is a form of trusting God. It's a form of faith that God, I, I trust you with your timing in my life. I trust your process. I trust that you know better than I know. And you know, the Bible's full of people having to wait. That's for us. The Bible's full of people. Like, God told Noah to build a big freaking boat. It's going to rain. It's going to what? It's going to rain. What's rain? Water shall fall from thy sky. It shall rain and flood the earth. Build a boat, Noah. 120 years later, it rains. That's a long waiting period of time. Right? Moses had to wait 40 years in the wilderness and then another 40 years leading the children of Israel to the promised land. Abraham, he had to wait. He had to wait 90 years to have a child. The entire Old Testament. You guys know this. It's about waiting on the Messiah. The entire New Testament. The New Testament, the disciples are waiting in the upper room, waiting for the gift of the promise of the Father. They're waiting on God. The Bible is a book about waiting. Why is that? Why is the Bible a book about waiting? Because waiting demonstrates 
Faith and our faith is developed through the waiting processes. That's where we learn to trust God. That's where we learn to either take matters into our own hands or we put the matter into his hands. It's in the waiting process. It's in the waiting process. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you that, God, one of those great gifts, one of those great fruits of the Spirit, God, is patience. And God, I pray that you would help us in the area of patience. Help us to bear the fruit of patience, to develop patience, to become spiritually mature, Lord. God, not not just to say, I believe, but to become a disciple and to grow in our discipleship today. Lord, I thank you for everybody here today. If you're here today, and today you want to take a step of faith in your own life and say, you know what, I want, to, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ right now. Then I want, you to, I want you to just be brave enough to pray that prayer. Would you do that and say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Today I want to become a child of God. I want to become a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for me, God. My prayer is that I live for you. God, for marriages and relationships. God, that you would just breathe patience into our lives, into our hearts. God, grow our patience with each other. Grow our patience with ourselves. And God, we just trust you today. We trust you with our future. God, we trust you with our marriage. We trust you with our child. We trust you with our health in this medical situation. We trust you with our mental health with our emotions. God, we trust you. God, that you would have your great work in us. And God, that we count it all joy when we're in various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience and that patience must have its perfect work in us, that we will be mature, whole, and complete. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.